Welcome to Bound by Books, a podcast of five authors across the genres talking about that one thing we're all bound by, books. I'm one of your hosts, Tina Moss, and I'm joined today by Sherry Hayes. Sherry? Hi, Tina. How are you today? Good, good. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's it's beautiful here in Ohio. Absolutely beautiful. I have the opposite today. It was supposed to be a cooler day and it is muggy and humid (laughs) and raining and I am not about it. I want the fall weather. I am done with this icky summer stuff. Oh, are you, are your leaves starting to change yet or? They are, but they're in that weird stage where they're like mostly green and then this like brown thing on the end. They're not pretty yet. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't gotten to the pretty stage yet. We're we're just we're, we're mostly greens and yellows at the moment. Okay. So, but they but they are starting to change, and it is gorgeous. Oh, nice. So, oh, we're getting nice. a fall! Yay! Yeah, that's what we always get in Ohio. <laughs> well, today we thought we would talk a little bit about just general author behind the scenes, what it's like. Uh, what our experience has been. Um, I've been in the industry publishing since 2010. Tina, how long have you been publishing? So I've been in the industry since I believe it was 2007. And I had a very uh, whirlwind experience where I didn't officially, like I only count my official publishing from 2014 because things, okay. things before that were very hectic and crazy. Um, we could get a little bit into that. In the I was going to say, I'm sure there's a story there. <laughs> oh, there's I'm a sure story. There is a, there there is a, a story there. There is a story. Yeah, it is a cautionary tale, um, to be sure. <sighs> but right now I've been all in the writing cave. I'm on deadline. So a lot of people sometimes ask, like, what does that mean to be on deadline? It's literally when you are buckling head down in the writing zone and that takes priority over everything else. So I've been heavy into that for about a week now. Um, yes. And you, and you feel like this little thing on the back of your neck saying, you gotta write more, you gotta write more, you gotta write more. <laughs> yes, completely. Get it done. Get it done. And completely. And, and I've done this to myself. Let me, let me be clear on that. I could have easily spaced this out appropriately, but unfortunately I prioritized other things didn't prioritize the writing have come down to the wire and now just just need to get it done so (laughs) yeah I know some writers are very much uh deadline motivated they they just I can't say that I am I don't know that I am deadline motivated but I just had no choice because I could not I was gonna say you made yourself deadline motivated (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I shouldn't be but yet here we are are you deadline motivated (laughs) I don't tend to set release dates until the book is written, although I have considered potentially trying to um, fiddle with a deadline motivation type thing because I do have a very hard time staying kind of like you. I have Mm -hmm. so many different things pulling me in so many different directions that writing doesn't always take priority. And I figure, hmm, maybe I should like put up a pre-order, even if it's, you know, somewhat in, you know, far into the future Mm -hmm. to motivate myself to actually sit down and get the writing done um, every day. Because otherwise, like you said, it's just other things come up and you, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you're, you're balancing, you know, what's, what is the most important thing that I have to get done today? And There's, there's only so many hours in a day. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there just is. There's only so many hours. Isn't usually the one that's that goes to the top <laughs> of the list. So, I found mm-hmm. that if I put writing, if like if I were to put off this book again, I'm it's not coming out until next year, and I just cannot do that to the readers that have been waiting. So at this point, I'm like, we're just we're just buckling. Yeah, you've been kind of talking about it for a while. I'm talking about this for <laughs> two years. I've been maybe a year and a half, but but like, I've been in it for two years. Like at this point, like even I'm mad at myself. So I can only imagine what my readers are feeling at this point. I don't think they're going to speak to me unless I get this book. Yeah, I was going to say, because you were talking about this book 
when you and I met and yep. that was last fall. Yes. So it was last fall around this time we yep. met and you were talking about this book and I'm like, okay, so I know it's been at least a year, <laughs> probably more, yeah. although I'm not much better because I have been, I, the book I'm writing right now mm -hmm. is uh, a book in my Serpent's Kiss series. Mm -hmm. It is his forbidden kiss. It's going to be Justin and Kim's story. It's the rest of Justin and Kim's story. I wrote a, a novelette called One Forbidden Night back in, um, oh gosh, it's probably been like four or five years ago. Mm -hmm. And when I finished it, the first thing my editor said when she finished it was, when are you writing the rest of their story? <laughs> yep. Yep. I was like, mm, I don't know. I ended up writing another book, actually another two books, mm -hmm. three books uh, in between. And then I'm like, you know, I think it's time for me to write their story. And but it has been it has been probably a year and a half since I uh, really kind of put on the, you know, my put on my thinking cap to start writing their story right. and yeah it just keeps getting interrupted i wrote and when did that one come out chapters. uh what his or one forbidden night or mm -hmm. oh, yeah gosh. the first part remember i think it was probably 2015 16 that's what i had with code black and red alert they yeah. so code black i had put out as my first big solo project because I was co-writing um, at that point. So, right. and, and it did really well. Like readers gravitated towards it and I had side character point of views. And then I kept getting asked the question over and over again, when is James and Drake's story coming out? And that was Red Alert but it was five years in between. Mm -hmm. And I knew with my new sci-fi series with Aliens Captive and the rest of the series that I did not want to do that. I wanted to be a rapid release writer. I have this like deep burning desire in me to be a rapid release author. I just do not have the willpower to I do I was like, said, good luck with that. Knowing knowing your, your craziness and my craziness, yeah, mm -hmm. rapid release just doesn't happen. The only reason I'm thinking of maybe trying the uh, deadline motivation is because when I was with a publisher, mm -hmm. I released about every six months. And That's a good schedule. That's a nice yeah, schedule. And it was... I mean, it was kind of not really pushed on me, but it was, you know, okay, you know, you were, you were writing in, you know, just in the writing machine mm -hmm. at that point, because again, when you're with a publisher, at least most publishers have a long deadline, right? So you have to have it in by a certain point, And then it doesn't usually come out for about nine months or, exactly. a, or yep. a year, what have you. So you have to kind of keep churning these out or else you're going to have, you're not going to have a book out for two, three years because mm -hmm. it has to go through all that, you know, all the editing processes. So because of that, I was staying on a roughly a six month track. So I would, you know, I was submitting a book about every six months and I was publishing a book every six months. But ever since I, you know, went out completely on my own. I've had a lot more flexibility on my publishing schedule. And I'm not right. sure that's necessarily a good thing um, from, at least for my readers, because mm -hmm. my readers are not getting as much content from me as they were before. Right. Because I'm not, I'm not writing as consistently. So I think that yeah. is one of the cons of being an indie author that people don't talk about is it's so great to be your own boss. But the flip side of that is you can set the times and the priorities and the deadlines for whenever you want. So if something you're not accountable to anybody else except exactly. for yourself. Exactly. So you don't you don't have that publisher, you know, sending you emails or you know, messages going, how's your book coming? You know what you're gonna be done with it. Um, yep. instead you're kind of just like, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. You know, I'll, I'll get it done when I get it done. You know, it's but it does kind of 
it, it kills your momentum from a marketing mm-hmm. standpoint yeah. for one thing. Um, but it also, it, it just, readers don't like to wait that long. I mean, my readers, my readers are kind of used to it at this point, but it's just, it's still, I would like to have books out for them at least a couple of times a year. I'd like to at least get back to the six month publishing schedule. That's yep. my goal. Um, just cause again, I hate not, not having new content to release out into the ether and yeah. share because I do have all these stories in my head. I mean, we've kind of talked about it on some of our marketing calls. I have, we all have so many stories in our heads. It's yep. just finding the time and the, you know, to write them down and polish them and publish them. It's so true. And also, I think like we talked about before, like you and I in particular have probably the craziest, tightest schedules of everybody in our marketing group. It's Mm -hmm. finding the space and the time. And when things just arise, for example, as I spoke about this morning, there was a two hour call that was not in my schedule at all. Mm -hmm. So, So there tanked all of that writing time. Um, which I will now try to make up in the afternoon. But that's just a part of the reality, too, of when you have other priorities, whether it's a whole other business or it's another job or it's family or a million other things that it could be. Writing, unfortunately, is the thing that can get pushed even when we don't want it to. Yeah, it's it's the I guess in some ways it's the convenient thing to put on the back burner because mm-hmm. you there's certain things in life because we authors are people we yep. all have lives we all have families um, whether we're single or married or have kids we all still have you know families of some sort yep. um, that we're you know that are, our lives revolve around and we have to do certain things. I mean, you have to, you know, you have to go to doctor's appointments. You have to maybe take a friend to, you know, to the doctor or to an appointment or whatever. I mean, you have other things that get pulled and it is so very easy to, when those, when those lists of things to do are there, it's so easy to just go, Oh, well, I don't have time today. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh, I don't have time today. I'll do it tomorrow. And it just keeps getting pushed further and further and further down that pile. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. Have you found though, that with making yourself on this tight deadline that it is making you write your butt off? <laughs> I mean, I will say with, with aliens captive. So a couple of things like, With these first two books, I have very detailed outlines. So in that sense, I'm I'm really just going in and filling it all in. So I'm not I'm not having to start from scratch every day. I'm really just, you know, beefing up the very intense detailed outlines. So in that respect, I feel like I am able to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't even have made the attempt. And the other part is I've been able to set boundaries, very strict boundaries too, with, you know, announcing on social media, Hey, I'm on a writing deadline. So I might not get back to you right away. I've told my husband like, Hey, you're not going to see me for a week. Like, don't bother me. This is, this is it. We're coming down to the wire. There is no excuses that I can make. I I've told family, like, you know, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't hang out with you. I can't come over. I can't have this call because this has been the priority. So it's been nice in the respect that I've been able to make it a priority, but in the Mm -hmm. same, I know this, that this can't last. So Mm -hmm. having this very tight deadline, although I don't think it's my ideal writing by any means has forced me to put some boundaries in place and got me thinking about how can I bring that into a more regular routine? Like, is there a time in my day that I can carve out that nothing else touches this time. I don't know long-term, but it's definitely got me thinking more. Now I know for me, I, I, cause I've been trying to do better at writing. Um, and for me, it's usually first thing in the morning before the house usually wakes up. Mm -hmm. So that's my quiet time. I don't, I'm not getting interrupted. I don't have to, you know, and it's early enough that 
you know, people aren't dinging me on social media. Mm -hmm. They aren't calling me on the phone, except maybe my mother. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't always know boundaries on when it comes to uh, phone calls. I'll get phone calls at like seven in the morning. And I'm like, what are you doing calling me at seven in the morning? Is it an emergency? No, I just, something came up and I'm going to talk to you. Um, But yeah, I mean, yeah, you got it. You do kind of have to try to find that time. But what I'm finding my, my biggest issue is that I, I have all of these priorities, Mm -hmm. like writing and exercise, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, you know, keeping my house clean thing. I mean, I mean, what, at what point do you, you know, where does that all find out? Because there's only, if you only have an hour that you can carve out in your day for all of these extra you know, priorities, what do you do? Because you don't want to neglect your health because Mm -hmm. that's, that's not good for you long-term. You can't neglect your business because then that affects you long-term. It affects your business, your career, um, and your marketing potential. You don't want to neglect your house because you don't want to live in a pigsty. Uh, that because that can well, I mean, that can affect your creativity as well. For because sure. you know, if you're literally surrounded by, you know, filth. junk, mm-hmm. you know, filth, you know, it cannot it can affect your health. It can affect and it can affect your productivity as well. So, how do you find that balance? Is I guess the biggest question, and I'm not really sure I have found the answer to that yet. I don't think I have either, but I think it relies somewhere in routine, right? Because we have a routine every day where we're going to, we're going to eat, we're going to try to work out, we're going to, you know, try to get enough sleep, we're going to shower, we're going to take care of our business, we're going to make sure the house is clean, right? Those are all kind of things that are part of our daily routine, So how do we make in our brains writing as equally as important a priority and part of that routine? Because I think it's just for us, it's something that we can put on the back burner. So changing Mm -hmm. that mindset to being like, no, this isn't something that can go on the back burner because it's equally as important as all of these other things. And I am not saying that I've gotten there yet, but this kind of, (laughs) this is kind of the exercise and a little bit of my punishment to be like, when you don't make this a priority, here's what will happen. Don't do this again. (laughs) So Don't kill yourself where you have to lock yourself in a room for hours on end and trying to get a manuscripts written. Yeah. Sometimes, unfortunately, the person who has to learn from very harsh lessons. So <laughs> I don't always take the easy path. Usually it's, it's the rough road where I'm like, okay, now I've got it. Now it's, now it's drummed into me. <laughs> Are you trying to say you're a little stubborn, Tina? Oh, no, not at all. Me? Who? <laughs> it's the Taurus in me. I can't help it. Oh, yeah. You think with me being a Pisces, I wouldn't be so stubborn, but I can be pretty stubborn. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that's true. I would say uh, the Pisces that I have met have all had some equally stubborn streaks. It's more, I think you like to dig your heels in more so than like an overall stubbornness. Like there's things that yeah, you're very passionate it, about. Yeah, it, it definitely does seem to be, it, it's conditional. Mm-hmm. It depends on what the subject matter is. If I feel really strongly about something, yeah, I ain't moving. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I would just be like, no, this is it. This right here, this thing that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, no, that's, I'm going to dig in for this. <laughs> it's completely irrelevant, but we're going to dig in anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so you oh, were talking before. Wow about the schedule of when you're with a publisher versus indie. Why don't we Mm -hmm. dig into that a little bit? How did you, how do you feel about the whole, I mentioned rapid release also, how do you feel about that whole Mm -hmm. rapid release versus the one book a year or one book every couple of years, et cetera. And then of course the middle ground. Well, okay. So I am definitely from a, even from an author and reader standpoint, I'm more of a middle ground type person. Uh, I do, I, from a marketing standpoint and from a reader standpoint, I do not love the, either one of the extremes. Mm -hmm. I think 
from a marketing standpoint and a reader standpoint on the only releasing once a year, once every two years, again, you lose the momentum. Readers kind of forget Mm -hmm. what the, especially if it's series, what the book, previous book was talking about, any threads that you kind of let into or set up for your new book have kind of just, you know, like went back because they've already read like, you know, probably 200 other works between, you know, your two books. I'm not a huge fan of rapid release either. And the main reason for that is because my experience has been when I read the vast majority of rapid release authors, it's very, the stories tend to devolve, devolve into very cookie cutter stories. Like a Harlequin-esque type where it's very um, category type or even more so? Even more so. Like I, for example, there is an author who shall remain nameless, (laughs) but I tried to read very, very, very popular author, I might add, which is fine. Um, I really enjoyed her, the first four books in her series. Mm-hmm. I thought they were really good. Uh, I was, you know, I was involved in the story and the characters. And then I read the fifth book and I was like, okay, this seems really similar to the previous book I read in the series. Mm-hmm. But I, was, I wasn't ready to give up on it yet. Because again, this was like, this is a very popular author. They have 13, 14 books they had already written in the series at the time. Mm-hmm. So I picked up the sixth book. And I was like, literally, if I could changed the names and places mm-hmm. and a few same. little things, it was the same basic story. Mm-hmm. The hero liked the same things he had the same personality uh the same likes and dislikes the same with the heroine same likes and dislikes i mean yeah she had a different name and Mm -hmm. maybe different hair and eye color and maybe different body type but the the overall personality was the same right for both the heroine heroine and again the the story arc was extremely similar Mm. and I have, and it wasn't just that one author, it's, I have found that for a lot of authors that rapid release, because they're releasing so quickly, they really have to have a template, right, that they're using. And you think that's maybe the strategy, though, because I I find that you're correct. But I also find that Mm -hmm. some of these authors, like that's part of the plan, because readers Mm -hmm. become so invested in the series and love their particular favorites in the series so much that they kind of take them, shift them around, rinse and repeat. Like it's the it's an actual tactic Mm -hmm. for. their. Oh, no, I agree. It, It is a tactic. It is a complete tactic. It's just from a. From a writer, from a reader mm-hmm. standpoint, I hate it. Gotcha. And <laughs> from a and from a writer standpoint, I don't. That's not how my creativity works. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not appealing to me on either front, as a reader or as a writer. So I, I tend. To, so it wouldn't be something that would appeal to me right. <laughs> in any just my starts with the imagination. So. Uh, I really would like, and again, I used to be in that middle ground where I was publishing about every six months and I would like to try to get back to that. But again, it kind of goes back Now, you, you have a, a little bit of a unique perspective because you are a writer and a publisher. Yes. It's, it's very interesting to see both sides of it. And I do have a lot more sympathy for publishers than I ever had in the past because what goes on behind the scenes is, I mean, more than I think any author could ever imagine. Indie authors have the experience of being able to do everything themselves. But when you're with a publisher, that experience of being an indie author, so for me, I own a small press, is multiplied now by hundreds of authors, all with different genres and branding, different experience levels in the publishing arena, different marketing plans and strategies for their books. So we're now running the gamut 
of all these different things. And I think sometimes that authors forget when they're with a publisher that they are, especially newer authors, but they are not the only one being published. So when you're indie, again, you can kind of like, you do it all yourself. You do it the exact way you want it. But when you're with a publisher, depending on if you're with traditional or small press and frankly, how good the publisher is, um, you might not hear anything that's going on with your book for months. Sometimes you won't be able to see the cover. You won't see the blurb. You won't hear about the marketing strategy. Um, with, with my small press in particular, it's a little different because our authors get a lot of input on their covers and they get um, they actually write their blurbs with their editors and then it comes to us and the marketing team and we kind of look at it and see if it's appropriate or if it needs to be changed. So we do have a more of a partnership with the authors and I would hope more, more small presses were like that. But at the same time, they're not all like that. And traditional is certainly not like that. There's there's a lot of, um, you know, here's the book and, and the, the publishing company runs with it and the author really doesn't have a whole lot of input. So I think it, yeah. it depends. It really depends on, on what you want from your career and what you're capable of as a writer. So what are, kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole here, okay, but what, is, what are some of the, I guess, I don't know if the one we use the word worst, but <laughs> what are some of the um, bad habits that you have found from newbie authors what are what are some of those that (laughs) coming in coming into it i'm just curious because again like you said i feel like i should have a guidebook of all these things um (laughs) honestly i i think some of the the worst habits is expecting to be the expecting to be some like superstar best-selling author right out of the gate. Like you've, you've Mm -hmm. just put in your very first book, it's about to be published and there's this very high standard and expectation for what's going to come out of that. And the reality is even traditional authors at traditional publishing houses, it's very unlikely that that's going to happen. We're talking about Mm -hmm. the 1% of authors that that's going to happen to where their debut book is going to be some flyaway bestseller. And I think, you know, having that expectation really sets the whole standard for a debut and can make it really depressing and, and not a good experience for an author. So part of what I've been learning, honestly, as a publisher is to have a lot more communication with the, with debut authors in particular about hey, you need to have a website. You need to get on at least one social media platform that you're comfortable with. You don't have to do them all, but pick one Mm -hmm. and and fly with it because you have to have a way to connect with your readers. Start a newsletter. Newsletters are still valid and they're still super, super important and a great way to connect. Like, Stop looking at reviews for the love of God. When your book comes out, stop reading reviews. They're not for you. They're for your readers. Stop. That can tank an author so fast, especially a debut who's not developed kind of that thick skin yet. Don't look at the reviews. Keep writing. Keep concentrating on connecting with your readers and and making that process be a good thing. Because the second you start to to turn and it becomes a negative, that's when you're going to lose the career. Yeah, setting those expectations. I mean, I know for when I when I first published, I was with publisher, and my very first check for my publisher was for twenty five dollars. Yeah, and that was considered pretty average yep. at the time for a debut author, first book, only book out, and I think a I think a lot. You're right. A lot of uh, authors who are just getting into the industry, I think they have these, um, you know, J.K. Rowling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Stephanie Meyer type, right. you know, uh, and they think that it's just going to happen right out of the gate, and that's just not the case for the vast majority, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a successful and fulfilling career. There are plenty of authors 
especially indie authors, even, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's plenty of traditional ones too, but indies, especially, which is why a lot of indie, a lot of people choose to go indies. They have mm-hmm. that control and can change, but there's a lot of indie authors out there that make six figures. Yeah. And I am a so big proponent of indie, even as a small press owner, I am a hundred percent supportive of indie and some of our authors some stay with us and publish some books with us while going indie with others. And some go completely indie after being with us. And those two roads are both perfectly valid. And I think if you can go indie, it's probably the best road to get you to that six figure bestseller status. The only caveat I would say to that is it is a marathon, not a sprint. So yeah, so having the proper expectations, I think is super important. I think even if you decide that indie is the right road for you, understand that getting to that level where indie authors are making six figures, they are not making that from one book. It's it's no. extremely rare if I've ever seen it, to be quite honest, for an indie author to be like one book out, six figures. Like that's just not the norm. So Like any other career, it takes time. You have to work at it. You refine your craft and, you know, you just keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I have, I don't know that I have ever seen an indie author who's put out one book and who has made six figures right off the bat. I don't think so. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, especially in the romance industry, the romance industry is so saturated with books. Mm-hmm. So there, it's going to be rare that you're going to put out a book and, you know, most of the romance genre reading readers are going to actually pick it up within a set amount of time when they've never heard of you ever before. Right. Because there's plenty of other authors out there that they've read before that they like so why are all of them all of a sudden going to flock to you when they do not know who you are? You, right. you have to have, you would have to have such a buzz. I'm not saying it's impossible. It would be but hard. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking the amount of marketing dollars you would have to put behind branding for sure and marketing in order to do that. And so then it comes to, is that going to your the amount of money you would have to put into that, is that going to offset? Because yep. are you going to have to put six figures into it in order to get six figures? Exactly. exactly. With not having that brand recognition. And that is something that I think probably we don't talk about enough, that gross profit versus net profit, right? Those mm-hmm. authors are also spending a lot of money. Now, I'm not saying they're not making good money because they definitely are, but they're not just making that money from nothing right? They're putting the money that they make back into their business as any good business owner should. So being an indie author is not just about being a good writer. It's about being a good business person. It's about being a good marketer, a good strategist, making sure that if you don't know how to do something, you have the proper people in place to help you so that you can do it all because you are a business owner. And I think going back yeah. to that rapid release idea, right? I mm-hmm. I like rapid release for me if I can ever actually get it done effectively because in the genre that I'm going into with sci-fi romance does have some of that, you know, I hate to say cookie cutter, but it does. It does have some of that cookie cutter-esque quality, but it's a thing that readers are clamoring for, right? I loved Mm -hmm. this writer. I love this series. I want to see more like it. I want to be comfortable in the familiar. I want to, you know, wrap myself up in the type of hero that I like and the story that I recognize. Mm -hmm. So from a creative perspective, I totally understand why, that would not be your thing. And even as a reader, that might not be your thing. You like you you want to read unique stories each time. I get it. But as a, a person who reads, like, I, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know how many books I'm up to, but I read at least 150 books a year. That mm. idea of, you know, 
the the familiar is very palatable to me and i get why readers kind of sink into that same mindset it's honestly it's why harlequin lines are still popular to this day oh yeah there's yeah. there's something there <laughs> there is there is but it's also again from a from a, me personally from reader standpoint like i i cannot read the same author a lot of times back to back to back i just can't because I need that variety. I need, you know, I need the change, which I know is so weird. But again, it goes back to the writing style I have in my own books. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I have billionaires versus the, the book I'm currently writing. He owns his own mechanic shop. Right. right. So my heroes range widely <laughs> into who, you know, their backgrounds and their personalities and their likes and their dislikes. I mean, I, you know, I write BDSM. So, you know, mm -hmm. some of my doms really like spanking. Some of them really like flogging. Some of them uh, <laughs> are, you know, are just into more, you know, kinky stuff. Some of them are more, you know, sadist then you know not i mean it mm -hmm. just they all are different i don't but that's what appeals to me i don't like the same thing i get bored yep. so um you know that's just my creative streak but i think there's something to be said for that because i do have i have built my readership upon that mm -hmm. where my readers know they're going to get a good story and it's not going to be that cookie cutter. Right. They know that it's going to be a, you know, that, that story is going self-contained characters are going to stand. It's going to, they're going to stand out. The characters are mm -hmm. going to stand out on their own versus maybe an entire series or maybe because like in my serpent's kiss series, perfect example, because of them being all standalone. Mm -hmm. I mean, Welcome to Serpent's Kiss introduces, you know, Katrina and the club. She's a 40-year-old femdom mm -hmm. who's a, a widow. And she's a bit of a sadist. She, she likes inflicting pain. Mm -hmm. Then you have, in the second book, I have a femdom, Beth, who is the complete opposite. She She's not really into uh you know over the top pain and she she's more in the you know uh give and take type of you know uh her submissive serving her mm -hmm. and then you know you but you see that, that i mean that was two books literally back to back and there's both were femdoms right but clearly on the ends of the spectrum they have very little in common other than the fact that they're both female dominants Right. See, I am such a binge watcher slash binge reader. Like when I'm in, I'm all in. When I was reading urban fantasy, paranormal romance, like I read everything and I would just go like, I think J.R. Ward sitting on the shelf behind me, like all of them at once. And mm -hmm. Patricia Briggs, all of them at once. Nalini Singh, all of them. And I got the same with sci-fi romance where to the point where I'm like, okay, you know, where is your next book? And I think that's mm -hmm. an expectation that certain genres give to their readers as well is like, you know, you can binge this because there is a book coming out every two months or every three months or, or some even faster than that, which I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not at that level, but yeah, I, I remember I just finished, um, I can't remember whose book it was. It might've been Ava Ross's or Ella Maven. It could be either one of those sci-fi uh, romance writers, but I just had finished their last book. And I was literally like messaging them like, excuse me, where is the next one? Because you've set this up. And that's another tactic also, by the way, in the writing in that the epilogue mm -hmm. is often the character who will be the next book. Like you've seen them as a side character and now they're going to be the hero or the heroine of the next book. So we get this beautiful epilogue and, and it just entices even more. It's not a cliffhanger, but it's definitely like a preview of what is to come. So that just leaves you wanting it even more. So I think there is some definite strategy behind all these things. And though and it it's, may not be for you, but I do think from a, 
business and marketing perspective mm-hmm. that it is it is a powerful strategy and one that has worked for a lot of authors. So as long as the readers are okay with it. Yep. I, I, I will agree from a marketing standpoint, it does seem to be a very, very good strategy. Um, I will say it, but again, for she's like, for me, it's not it. Uh, for me, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a strategy for reader or author. I mean, right. like, I'm going to say feel. something really controversial here. Do it. Okay. <laughs> I actually stopped reading the Black Dagger Brotherhood because <gasps> of that. Wow. I, I'm, I'm going to admit now, too. Uh, I stopped reading it also. And I'm just going to apologize to mother ward at this point because i was obsessed obsessed with that series for so long and then all of a sudden a book didn't come out within that rapid time frame and for me it fell off so in that Mm. case you know it was more like you built up this expectation of these books coming out so often and then when one didn't release it was almost like now the momentum was lost. So I think whatever expectation you put in place, you have to kind of keep that contract to the reader. So if you're going to do a rapid release, you got to keep doing it. If you're going to do every six months, you have to keep doing it. So whatever you decide. Yeah, I was going to say, my my readers, my readers at this point don't really expect me to rapid release anything. I never Mm -hmm. have. And they don't really expect. So again, yeah, it's reader expectation because if you're if they're used to that, they're going to expect it. And I I do know of an author who was doing rapid release. She did it for about two years, mm-hmm. and she was making six figures. And she burned out. Burned out. Yeah. She she hit burnout and uh, went for over a year without writing a single word. Yeah. So that's something else to keep in mind. Sure. If you know. If you if you're a writer and you you know want to look at rapid releasing, you've also got to I think be realistic based on what your writing style is, stories that you're writing, your life, right? And to add a little bit of flexibility in there where you're not putting so much pressure on yourself that you're mm-hmm. just you know, yeah, really good. <laughs> you're going to end up burning out because that's not going to that's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for your family. It's not going to be good for your career. Uh, as far as, you know, longevity, I mean, the, the point of this, I think for, like you were saying earlier, it is a marathon, mm-hmm. not a sprint. So you have to look at it from a long-term perspective. Are you going, whatever you are setting up right now, are you going to be able to continue doing that for the next five years? Right. If you're not, then maybe you need to look at what you're doing and how you can tweak that in order to make it work for you for the next five years. Mm-hmm. If that means maybe instead of rapid releasing, you know, every month or two months, maybe it's rapid releasing every three months or right. four months. You There's know, also maybe- some strategies to like release one to three books up front or to have them release within a month of each other and then release the next one like six or seven months out. So you're creating that right. initial momentum and then putting the next one, you know, further back so that readers now understand, okay, this is going to be the new normal, but to get that initial impact, that's another strategy that I've seen some authors do, but this can also get us into um, the KU versus wide debate, because I think in KU specifically, which is for our, anyone who doesn't know out there is Amazon's Kindle Unlimited program, where readers pay a set amount per month, and they can read as many books as they want inside of the Kindle Unlimited, any books that are part of that program. So an author who does a Kindle Unlimited program, <clears throat> excuse me, with Amazon, will get page reads. So however many pages are read, they'll get paid from a common pool from that. But in KU, I find that rapid release is also much more of a common strategy. Yes. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, I think. But I think part of that is just because of the way it's set up, because mm-hmm. you are limited yep. in KU, because in order to be in KU as an author, you have to agree to be exclusive to Amazon. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you are creating a limit a limitation on the readers that you are able to reach Mm -hmm. um because not everybody will buy from amazon there i know 
of some people who are very anti-Amazon and they don't, you know, they, yep. it doesn't matter. It's like, if your book is only on there, then, you know, sorry, I'm not reading it because I'm not doing it. But there are also people who will only buy on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But still, if you're in KU, you are only on Amazon. You are marketing to KU readers mm-hmm. primarily. And again, you've got a limited number and you are getting page reads. So mm-hmm. if you don't continually put out new things for those limited readers to read, you are not going to continue to get those page reads. Right. Yeah. So you're not going to get the income. So. And I, and I think from a author perspective, it's very important to decide like what is going to be the best model for you. And also mm-hmm. that if you're going to make the KU move, so for example, with my sci-fi series and Aliens Captive, um, it is going to be in KU where my other books have gone wide. And the reason I decided on KU is because so many authors in my genre are in KU. So in, in my research, this particular genre is where the readers are. They're in their KU readers. If I was writing in a different genre and most of the readers were not in looking in KU, I would definitely mm-hmm. be wide because I do think the benefits of wide are better than the benefits of being in KU. But unfortunately, in this case for me, it makes sense because that's where the, re- that's where the primary majority right. of readers are. But that's the importance of doing your marketing research because oh, yeah. you need to know where your readers are, who your target readers are. Um, I was actually very surprised when I started digging into my target readers and finding that um, an overwhelming number of my target readers were married and over 30. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I also um, find with your genres, with BDSM, <laughs> not only is why beneficial, but a lot of these readers learn through word of mouth, through other readers. Like a lot of the marketing is being in these conglomerates of groups or on like things like Facebook or, or Discord or wherever they're congregating. But a lot of that is being told about the books from other readers in the genre. Have you found yes. that? Yes, very much so. Um, and, and the fact my some of my biggest spikes have been when a um, a blogger, a well known blogger, mm-hmm. has read and reviewed one of my one of my BDSM stories, and it. I mean, all of a sudden, I'll get like, you know, a huge spike on my, you know, on my, also, you know, on my buys, mm-hmm. and I'm like, where did this come from? And then I'll like a few days later, I'll see like somebody sharing a blog post from this blogger about it, about that book. And I'm like, oh, that's where. <laughs> so, you know, sharing the books that you like, which is one of the reasons why I share what I'm reading. And if I really loved a book, I will, you know, I'll make sure that I tell my readers about it because mm-hmm. I know from a an author perspective how much that matters, how much Absolutely. those, you know, readers respond to word of mouth, especially once you establish a relationship with your uh, with the people who are reading your blog or your your social media, if you if you garner that relationship and let them know that you're a real person, that you your likes and your dislikes, and kind of sh- communicate with them, what you say has a little more weight. When Absolutely. you're sharing something yeah. that you really love, it really makes a difference. So, I think yeah. we are out of time. That are we uh, already? <laughs> oh man, that went so fast. <laughs> Okay. One thing before we go, I have to say, because you brought up the social media again, my Mm. biggest advice and one of my biggest personal pet peeves, authors on your social media, post pictures of your book. Like you can totally post your pets. If you want to post, you know, your family and you're comfortable with that and things that you do in real life, that's okay. But if Mm -hmm. I see your entire Instagram feed is full of nothing but food and people and nothing about your book, it's going to drive you writing or anything. Oh my gosh. Stop treating your social media like your personal social media. Use it for your author business and post your book. 
there, like we said, you have to see something how many times before a person will buy it, right? So if they've never seen it on your social media, they're not going to go and buy it. So please post about your book. <laughs> and if you're doing that much work to, you know, to garner a relationship by posting the other things, mm-hmm. then you're, you're already establishing yourself and building that level of, you know, trust and connection. So yeah, put your book out there. Right. Isn't that the reason you're on social media in the first place? Like it doesn't As an have author? to all be that and it shouldn't all no. be that, but like the majority should be that. And then pictures of, you know, you going for a hike or you know, what you ate for dinner or whatever. That's fine too. That shows you as a person. But when I look at your feed, I want to see your book on there. So that's mm-hmm. my one, my one tidbit. <laughs> yep. I totally, totally agree. Totally agree. So maybe we'll have to do a, a social media 101 one of these days. Yes, absolutely. That would be a good one. Oh, well, it was a good talk. I think we had a, we kind of, uh, Went over a lot of rabbit holes. We definitely opened up the behind the scenes of author life. Yes. Talked about a lot of our likes and dislikes and pet peeves uh, when it goes. Well, um, thank you all for listening this week. I hope you enjoyed Tina and I's uh, discussion on the behind the scenes of author life. Um, If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you will check out some of our other podcasts. Uh, In the past, we do have... um, over 20 uh, previous podcasts, which is amazing. It doesn't seem like we've been doing this for that long. Um, We also have a website where you can check out um, our past podcasts as well as all of our uh, five hosts. So it's me and Tina, uh, Danielle Bannister, Marianne Maria, and Hannah Byron. And we all, as uh, Tina said in the beginning, we all write a variety of genres. So <laughs> you can find just about anything to suit your taste. Yep. Uh, and we will be back next week at 12 noon Eastern Standard U.S. time with the next episode. And I hope you'll turn it in and listen. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.